Happy Mother's Day. And I, I think that video just says it so well. And we just want you to honor, uh, to feel honored today and blessed today. And I've been thinking a whole lot about this day for quite some time, actually. And I'm just so eager. I'm so excited to get into it uh, with you today. And just thinking about, you know, I really don't. And I've been thinking more about it, you know, uh, this week and the week prior to um, just all that you moms do. And to be honest, I still, to this day, I do not know how you pull off your enormously difficult job and you do it week in and you do it week out. And honestly, I, I don't know how you do it. Now, just this past week, I've got just a tiny, tiny, tiny little taste of what you experience every day. And I decided, I think all of you know by now, if you've been here for some time, that I literally go six mornings a week to Chick-fil-A. That is true. That is a fact. I walk in sometimes and somebody has seen me from the church and they're like, you really do come. I'm like here every single morning, six days a week. But one day this week, I decided, well, how fun would it be if I take my two granddaughters? I'm, I'm going to take Kinley, who's two and a half years old, and I'm going to take Landry, who is uh, four months old, and she can't really do the chicken mini thing yet, but her day's coming. And, and I just thought, this could be so much fun. <laughs> Fun's not the word. It was, it, it was like a hurricane, and I'm, I'm like, um, you know, we're leaving, and I've got Landry in her little car seat, and I'm carrying that, and then Kinley decides she wants Papa to carry her, so I've got her here, and I've got the car seat, and they don't quite balance out, and I'm walking, and I'm thinking, I go to the gym also six days a week, and I like to think I'm in pretty good shape, but if somebody made me walk like this for a couple of hundred yards, I'd be in big trouble, and I just thought, that's, that's just one tiny little morning this week when I thought about all the times I've seen our daughter-in-law, Nicole, uh, carry Kinley and Landry, and then she had a backpack, and then she had a diaper bag, and then she was pushing a stroller. And I just think, how in the world do you moms do such inconceivable things that you do? It's amazing to me. It's mind-blowing to me. I couldn't help but think about my own mom and remembering back when I was in, in the ninth grade. Unfortunately, my parents went through a, a divorce, and in order to help you know, to pay the bills. My mom, we'd moved back to Atlanta at that point. Mom decided that in order to do that, she was going to need to work um, two jobs. And I remember her doing that. I know growing up in Metro Atlanta, I remember one of the two jobs, she would have to get up every morning and drive an hour and 15 minutes one way, work that day, then drive an hour and 15 minutes back home every single day. And I thought, man, only a mom would do something like that. Couldn't help but think about my grandmother, who's now passed. It's my dad's mom. And think about how did she keep their household uh, flowing so smoothly when my grandfather, as long as I knew him, as long as I knew him, from the time I was a child until the time that he, you know, retired just, you know, several years before he passed away. And, and my grandfather uh, had a gas station in South Georgia, and he literally worked at that gas station 12 hours a day from 9 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, and he did it six days a week. You just calculate those hours. And how did my grandmother, and why do you moms do all that you do? And, and I know why you, I don't know how you do it. I know why you do it and, it, and it's all about love. You do it because love. And, you know, you want to think about a love that is gigantic. You think about the love of a mom. 
And you think about the love, and I started thinking about this biblically, and I thought, you know, you even see this exemplified in such a huge fashion in the mother of Jesus. You know, she was certainly there at his birth and all the complications when she had never entered into uh, sexual activity with a man, but there was this, uh, this conception that would happen this divine conception that she, a virgin, would give birth to, to a baby and just the wonder of that, but how that she would watch him grow up and she would be amazed at the activity of God and the life of her son, and she would be there in his dying moments when it would have made sense for anybody that was a close friend or a relative of Jesus to go underground because who knows, but what, they may be crucified next, but yet Mary, the mother of Jesus, chose that she would be there at his last hours, and she's like, I'm, I've been with my son the whole time, and I'm not even going to abandon him now when it would make sense to maybe walk away and, and go into hiding. Look at these verses up on the screen. I'm just struck by them again as I read them. It said, near the cross of Jesus stood who? Who was near the cross? Stood his mother. His mother was there. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved, meaning John, standing nearby, he said, look at this. It's reciprocated, this tremendous love that Jesus' mother had for him. And then it's reciprocated. It said, he said to his mother, dear woman, here's your son. And he looked in John's direction. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And it's like there at the very end, here he is standing near the cross was Jesus' mom. I'm never let him down in his whole life, and I'm not going to let him down now. And can you imagine the agony of a mother as she watched her son die, but not just watching her son die, but watching her son die with the brutality and the violence in which he was crucified. And, And you think about that, and you think about here is the enormous love of a mom. It's indescribable in so many ways. Look at this statement up on the screen. One child development expert cited studies that indicate that people who grow up to become healthy, well-adjusted adults can almost always look back to one parent who loved them irrationally. And more often than not, that one parent is a mom. Not all the time, but the vast majority of the time, who loved that child irrationally. It was the love of a mother. You talk about the love of a mother, the care of a mother. It is, it is incomprehensible. There's a story that was shared. I, I read it not too long ago, and I held it for this day. Police don't know where Deborah Kemp found the strength, but Kemp knows. You see, her six-year-old daughter, Ashley, was in the back seat, and Kemp wasn't going to let the man steal her car after she had just pumped gas. This 34-year-old mother was dragged on her knees for several blocks as she clung to the door and steering wheel of this moving car. She says, I wasn't trying to be a hero. I was just concerned about my baby. And every mother could understand what she says next. She said, because there was part of me in that car. Kemp eventually pulled the suspect. I love this. She eventually pulled the suspect from the car and beat him with an anti-theft club device while he apologized and begged her to stop. The driverless car, when she pulled him out, the driverless car went out of control, smashed into a restaurant, breaking a gas line. That's when the child woke up. Kemp suffered only ripped pants and bloody knees. The child was not injured at all, but you got to appreciate this. The suspect could not walk because his leg was broken, and he also suffered some head injuries from from a mama bear who's saying, you mess with my cub, you're going to pay the price. You're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. 
And you get that, the love of them all. That would just say, you know what? You may try to take this car, but you're not taking my baby girl. No way, no how, not going to happen, whatever happens. There's another place in the Bible that grabbed my attention while working on this talk. It's this great apostle Paul, and he's talking to a young disciple named Timothy. And he's really, when you study it, he's pouring into the life of Timothy. He's investing into Timothy's life. And there's something that a lot of times we, we miss when we look at some of the words of Paul, but I was so awestruck by this when I saw it again while preparing for this talk. When he's talking to Timothy and he said, Timothy, he said, there's a lot of things I know. There's a lot of things that I value that I appreciate about you. I see the work of God alive in your life. You're becoming a great man of God. You're going to make a, grand, a great man of God. But you know what, Timothy? I can't help but think about, and here's Paul's words, I think about the genuine faith. In fact, he said, I remember, I remember your mom. I remember the genuine faith of your mother, Eunice. And, and Timothy, I'm, I'm proud of you, and I, I see the handiwork of God in your life. But I also, and I'm so happy to be investing in your life. But Timothy, I want you to know that you're the man of God that you are today because you had a godly mom who was expressing genuine faith as a model for you to follow. And I don't know how you moms do it. I know why you do it. It's all about love. But I don't know how magnificent moms do what they do. You think about it. They cook and they clean and they change diapers and they work their job and they wash clothes and they bathe kids and they run a taxi service to schools and to practices and to doctor's office and dentists and they laugh and they play and they pray. And like Eunice, they demonstrate a genuine faith. And moms, can I just tell you today that one of the greatest things that you can do for your kids and all that you do really matters. And I know that you love your kids in a way that cannot even been described, be described. But I just encourage you, I implore you, above everything that you do for your kids, and it is manifold, and it is tremendous, and you're a magnificent mom. I know you are, but never forget the greatest gift that you can make to your kids is to exemplify genuine faith before them. And to mom's children matter. They matter a whole lot. You see this again and again in the Bible. What I'll mention today is only portions. We could, we could just go on and on. But let me just mention some examples of this. In Isaiah 49, verse 15, the A part of that verse, it's not on the screen, but it reads like this. Uh, it's the writer saying, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? It's like the writer is saying, are you kidding me? You think a mother could forget that baby? You think a mother, any reasonable, sane mother would fail to have compassion on the child she is born? It's like the biblical writer is saying, do you think a loving mom is going to overlook her own baby? Do you think if her child is in need, would there be any reasonable mother who would fail to extend care to the one that she gave birth to? And it's like this writer is saying, are you kidding me? That's never going to happen. She will do everything conceivable in her power to love and to care and to meet that need because children matter to God and they matter to moms and they ought to matter to us. In fact, later, you know, about 17 chapters later in Isaiah, it's like God is trying to paint a word picture, and he wants his people. He's going to communicate to his people, and he wants his people to understand how great his love and compassion and care is for his people. And he's, he wants them to be able to process this, to be able to engage it in their brain. And so he paints for them a word picture, and you're going to see it here on the screen. This is Isaiah 66, 13. 
And he said, I will comfort you. And it's like, okay, how can I let them? What kind of word picture can I give them? All right, here it is. I will comfort you like a mother comforting her child. It's like God is saying, you know what? If you get that, if you see that, if you understand that, if that's a reality in your mind and your heart, then you, you understand how much that I care about you. Let's just tell you, friends. All you got to do is ask any sensible mother to describe the love that she has for her child, and her vocabulary cannot begin to reach the deep places that would be marvelous enough to explain it. It is a love that is so enormous, it can even look past weaknesses and faults that others would be quick to criticize. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that one of the things that you, you love about your own mom, that your mom even overlooked the things that were so obvious that you even knew about yourself? But it's not that your mom was detached in that regard or didn't want to admit it. It's just like she loved you right through all of that. In fact, I read this recently. I loved it. In fact, when I read it, it made me, it made me laugh. So I thought you might enjoy it well. Here it is. It's a quote. The truest measure of a man is found somewhere between the opinion of his mother and the opinion of his mother-in-law. <laughs> probably not, you know, what it, fully what his mother-in-law thinks. Probably not fully what his mom thinks. But maybe it lies somewhere in between. I want you to check out this next amazing verse. I love it. Many of you have read it. It's an amazing verse. Jesus gives it. Look at it here. John 16, 21. He says this. When a woman is about to give birth, she is, and all you ladies who have had kids, you've earned the right to say this. She is in, say it with me, ladies, ladies. She is in what? Say it one more time. She's in great pain. But after it is all over, she does what? She forgets the pain. And she's what? This is unbelievable. She's what? She's happy. Why? Because she has brought a child into the world. Can you believe? Can you believe? I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you how, how that we guys talk about our pain. And, and I've done it with the best of them. I mean, I can remember times when I was just bragging, you know, about, you know, I broke this arm because, I, you know, I'm like any guy. I want people to think that I'm actually tougher than I know I am. I, like, broke this arm and, like, snapped it back, and I had to have surgery, and it was ugly, and then broke this one playing football, and I tore ligaments in my, in my right ankle, and I tore the meniscus in my left knee, and I've had four surgeries, like, rah, rah, rah. You know, I'm just, and, and then I start thinking about that, and I start considering that compared to giving birth to a child, that's like a microscopic splinter in my finger. I mean, have you, you ladies would agree, right? How many, how many of you have ever heard, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I've heard this. I've walked on these hospital floors, and I've been walking down a hospital floor, uh, you know, where somebody's giving birth, and I'm walking down, and I know it's another person I'm going to see because they generally have already had the baby, and I've been walking down the hall, and I've heard this scream that just sends a shiver down my spine. And it is a woman in the throes of, and just, How many of you have ever heard that before? Let me, let me just, uh, how many of you have heard that scream? Raise your hand. Let me see it. You've heard that scream? If you have ever heard that scream, you will not soon forget it. You will not. But listen, this is, this is amazing. John 16, 21 is right. Jesus said when she's given birth, she is in great pain. But after it is all over, she forgets. Can you believe this? 
She forgets the pain, and she's happy. Again, how do we know that she forgets the pain? Because later she makes a ridiculous statement that sounds something like this. I think I want to have another baby. <laughs> really? Do you remember how you scream? Do you remember the pain? No. I don't remember. Once she lots eyes with that little boy, that little girl, Jesus said, you know, although there's a lot of pain, she forgets the pain. Why? Because she's brought a child into the world, and she's really happy about that. And every time that I go through the Bible, I'm reminded how much, and it's got to be echoed. It's got to be stated, and I'm so happy to do it on this Mother's Day, is that children matter to moms. But you keep reading deeper into the Bible, and you understand that not only do children uh, matter to moms, but children matter to Jesus. Now, how do we know that? This, if you've never thought about this, let me just uh, unlock your brain in this capacity. I've, I've wondered many times, how approachable was Jesus? Because we, we sort of personify that in human beings, and we think, well, hey, this is a pretty important person, but they don't seem too engaged or too approachable. And hey, this person seems rather friendly, and they seem welcoming in their personality. And a lot of times we think, well, I wonder what Jesus was like. And you know what we do so wrongly, and I hate that we do this. A lot of times we have this image of Jesus that we, we only can recall the time. And he did it. I mean, it's, it's clear. It's undeniable. When Jesus was, was very fired up because people was disregarding his father's house, and he went in. The Bible said that he had a whip, and he started turning over tables, and he's like really, really mad. This is not happy Jesus here. And he's angry. But unfortunately, a lot of times, that's only the image we remember. And we just think, you know, Jesus must have been this really mad, really angry guy. Maybe he's not that approachable. And, you know, we just sort of envision him, stern look, whip in his hand. But I'm telling you, that is so unlike the personality of Jesus. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Because the Bible is replete. The Bible is clear that kids felt comfortable in the presence of Jesus. The parents didn't have to shove them. They walked up to him. They, they saw something about Jesus that made them comfortable. And how many of you know that kids are pretty discer good discerners of personalities? And kids just felt comfortable with Jesus. I told Pastor Seth, I was going to have a little fun with him today, and I will at his expense. But uh, Kenley, our granddaughter, she goes uh, to preschool, and her preschool in the very next building. So often, before her mom gets there, I go over there, and I check her out of school with her mother's permission, of course. And I take some time to love on her a little bit and spend a little time with her before I hand her off to her mom. And inevitably, when we're coming down the hall, you know, I always ask her, do you want to walk? You want Papa to carry you? And, you know, depending on the day. I want to walk, which means I want to run, and I want you to try to catch me. Or no, I, I want you to carry me. And she'll put her arms up. Inevitably, every time we go by Pastor Seth's desk, she knows. She knows the office, the layout. And when we start getting close to walk by his desk, she will do one of two things. She'll cover her eyes, or she'll lay her head on my shoulder and look the other way. And I started thinking, well, why does she do that? And I thought, well, you know, she probably does that because he's big. Have you noticed Seth is a tall guy? Played a lot. Of, well, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it's because he's such a tall guy. And then I think, well, no, that's, uh, you know, that's not completely it. I've seen around other tall. Well, maybe it's because he's loud. Because if you're around him, he's really funny. He has a great time. And he can get loud. Well, maybe it's because he's loud. And I thought, well, no, there's loud personalities in our family. And then it hit me. Well, Seth just needs to become more like Jesus. That's obviously it. That's it. He just needs, just kidding, just having fun, I told him. But, I mean, kids felt comfortable 
being around Jesus. Later we read in Mark 9, 36 that Jesus actually picked up a child, held him in his arms, a small child. And Jesus would never would have done that if children did not matter greatly to him. Let me show you another example of this. There are three very insightful verses in Matthew chapter 9. I want you to check out 19, actually. I want you to look at these verses with me. There's actually two groups and one individual playing out in this scene. Matthew 19, look at verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't you stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these little children. And he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them before he left. And I thought about that. You know, I've told you so many times, one of the great things that we need to do, if we really want to understand a portion of the Bible, we want to get into passage, what we need to do is envision ourselves as being there. And in my mind, every time I read this story, I can see this crowd. I can see Jesus sitting there. Maybe he's been doing some teaching. Maybe he's been doing some healing. Maybe he's been opening some blind eyes or causing some deaf ears to be opened. Maybe he's called a paralytic to take up his mat and walk. Maybe, you know, miracles. I don't know what's been going on completely in this context, but it says, here are the parents, and we get this. If you're a parent and Jesus is there, I mean, you'd want to say, hey, go let Jesus pray. You know, go let Jesus pray for you. Any of us would want Jesus just, Lord, would you just please, would you just bless, would you bless my kids, would you pray? Any, any well-thinking parent would do that. And so you got the parents who have their kids and I, hey, Jesus, would you just pray? Would you just pray for my kids? You know, before you go, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot, but just pray. Would you pray for my baby? Here, here, will you take my baby? Just lay your hands on my baby and just pray. And the disciples, that's the other subgroup. The, the disciples are like, get him back. Are you kidding? I mean, this is Jesus. He's miracle worker. Don't you know? He's not tight. He doesn't have time for kids. Get him back. Come on. Really? Don't, you're bothering him. And Jesus, I love this about Jesus. Jesus said, don't you stop those kids. Don't you stop them. Come here. It's like he started, hey, you come here. You, you get up close to Jesus. And the Bible said, that he laid his hands on their head. And I can see that. Oh, man. How many times have I, like, taken one of my granddaughter's faces and just, and just kiss them on their forehead and just say, hey, Papa loves you. And I just envisioned Jesus. It said he laid his hands on their head and he prayed. He blessed them. Why did he do it? Because kids not only matter to moms, but kids matter a whole lot to Jesus. And I've got a word for us as a church today. Listen to me. Because kids matter so much to moms and kids matter so much to Jesus, kids must matter to us as a church. They must matter to us as a church. And they do matter. And they matter for a lot of different reasons. Whatever matters to moms and Jesus would be and should be a huge priority for us as a church family. It really matters. It really matters when I read stats, and this is validated, stats that tell us percentage-wise, percentage-wise, that, that the age group that comes to Jesus the easiest is kids. It's not that older uh, people, older adults, people like us, uh, don't come to Jesus. It's just percentage-wise, much lesser amounts. That the, that the group that responds, the group that gives their life to Jesus most is kids. And, and that matters. That matters a whole lot. 
that the younger a person is, the more likely they are to receive Jesus as their Savior and leader. It matters a whole lot that we get a chance to partner with parents in building a solid foundation that is going to help these kids to make wise, God-honoring decisions in the future. It ought to matter to us because we get to make a great contribution as a church family, again, in cooperation with the parents, into the core biblical beliefs that will eventually get challenged as these kids, listen, I'm telling you, friend, these little kids are going to walk into middle school one day, and their belief system, their core values, their biblical worldview is going to be challenged there, and it's going to be challenged even greater at the high school level. But let me tell you where it's really going to be challenged. It's really going to be challenged when they step onto a university campus and people that are on that campus that are highly respected start telling them things like there is no God and the Bible is just a book and Jesus is just a man so we get the privilege it really matters to us as a church that we get the privilege we get the privilege to partner with parents to make an indelible mark on the lives of these little boys and girls so that they grow up and these little boys and girls who open their heart to Jesus become great men and women of God one day. And, and don't tell me, because I would never be convinced, I've seen it in the lives of my own granddaughter, don't tell me that a kid can't perceive, that a kid can't pick it up. They start picking it up so early. I mentioned to you that uh, my little granddaughter is a great, great school. She's at Victory Christian Academy. She's two years old, and she repeats memory verses. She was over the house last night, and it was her bedtime, and I, I had her, and I just started, as I've done from the time she was, you know, when I was giving her a bottle, I just started singing that little song. Jesus loves me, this I know. And I'd just sing a part of it, and I'd stop. For then, she'd say, the Bible tells me so. Little ones do, and she'd say, belong. I'd say, they are. She'd say, weak, but he is. She'd say, strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. I want to practically say something to you. And I unapologetically say this, and I say it loud and clear. I believe, listen to me, please give me your undivided attention right here. No distractions, no distractions right here. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. I believe that the kids' ministries of our church is perhaps the most important ministry of our church for the reasons that I've just mentioned. Sure, we can clap on that. And I do. Perhaps the most important ministry of our church. Are you, are you serious about that, Pastor? I'm absolutely serious about that. For the reason that I just mentioned. For the fact that we've got a small window of opportunity, as you do with parents, to impact their life. To tell them about Jesus. And you say, really? I mean, is it more important? No offense, Pastor Randy. Is it more important than, than worship? Let me tell you what I know. Pragmatically, let me just tell you pragmatically, this is what I know. If a parent is in here and they're the least bit concerned about the quality of care that their child is getting down on the other side of this theater, guess what? They'll never fully be able to engage in worship because they're worried about what's going on with their child. I may preach the best message that I have ever preached in my entire ministry, but if that mom or dad is not able to be dialed in to the Word of God because they're just wondering, just wondering about the quality of care, the height of the ministry that their child is receiving. I will never be able to impact their life fully. Pragmatically, I believe that the children's ministry of our church may in fact 
be the most important ministry of our church. And furthermore, let me just say this. We are not, and I can proudly say this, we are not running a babysitting service here at our church. We are telling these little boys and girls about the love of Jesus, and it matters. And it matters to moms, and it matters to Jesus, and it ought to matter to us as a church. And we ought to do everything that we can to make that the greatest ministry that we can. And again, we have just a small window. It's a lady that wrote a a story. It's interesting to me, just a little reflection it was, and she wrote it when her daughter was very, very young. The lady's name is Mary Jean Erion, and she wrote, and she called her reflection, Gift from a Hairdryer, and she wrote this reflection as she combed her seven-year-old daughter's hair after a bath one day, and this is how it goes. She said, comb and dry, comb and dry. Soon I won't be able to do this anymore, you say to yourself. What will she be like at 14? Where will her hair be blowing then? And 16 and 18. You suppose boys will love to watch your hair blow as you do now? And some of them will fill it on their faces, and one of them will marry her, and her hair will be perfect under the veil, and there will be her hair spread out on his pillow. Oh, you hate him a little. And I understand that fully. I hate him right now just thinking about it, by the way. And you hate him a little, and you wonder where he is at this moment and whether he'll be good to her. They will grow old together. Her gold-brown hair will be gray, and you will be gone, and then she will be gone, the very hair that now your fingers smooth. And then she writes, all the tears of this world swim for a second in your eyes as you snatch the plug out of the socket suddenly and gather her into your arms, bearing your face in the warm hairs as if you could seal this moment against all time. It's parents. It's a small window. As a church, it's a small window. And we've got to seize that opportunity while we have it. Would you stand with me, everybody? I hope that you have an excellent Mother's Day. Thank you for your tremendous response today. If you're not already talked to your mom today, you be sure to do that. If I don't hurry and call my mom, she's going to be calling me and asking why I didn't call. So happy Mother's Day. I love you guys. Thank you for being with us today. I hope you have a great day all day long. See you back here next Sunday.